the Lord who stayed back to have the conversation with Abraham when the two angels went forward into Sodom. Remember? And then he had that long conversation, Abraham with the Lord. Remember? Well, perhaps if there be 50, if there be 40, 30, 20, 10. Remember? And then we see the end of that. And then it goes on. Remember, there, there never used to be chapter breaks, so we keep reading there. And then in Genesis 19, 24, it shows us that the Lord rained down fire and brimstone from the Lord in heaven. So there we see a theophany, we see many times in Scripture, but right there that the Lord rained down fire and brimstone from the Lord in heaven. Again, showing a plurality. So again, it does not, you know, teach us, it doesn't become much clearer and much more defined until the New Testament. But also go to Malachi 3. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And if we know, if you remember that, if you've been reading, you're familiar with it, that's obviously John the Baptist. There's just no doubt about it. That's John the Baptist. That's the messenger. And the Lord, now remember, this is the Lord God speaking. I will send my messenger. And then, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who's he that he's talking about? And if you remember, you, you go that in, it's undeniable. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, but who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And we won't get into that. You look through scripture and that who is described as fire, a refiner's fire, a fuller's soap? What cleanses? God. So again, Jesus Christ is described in the same way throughout the Old Testament as God. And that's why I want to get into the importance of the Trinity, and it's kind of been lost because you, you don't hear it much. Or what you hear is actually diminished, and it's not taught rightly, or it's attacked. You know, one of the greatest of those is modalism. But understand that anything that takes away from the equality, the authority, the glory, the majesty, the holiness, the purity, the power, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ... Any teaching like that, in any way, is blasphemy. No matter how they present it. Whether they're sincere or insincere, doesn't matter. That's for the Lord to judge them on their sincerity or unsincerity. We judge them by what they teach. Whether it's true or false. Whether it's correct or incorrect. Amen? But I just wanted to show those that, again, throughout, and that's only some. There is many more, but I don't want us to get brain ache. Right, but to show that throughout the Old Testament, God, from the very beginning in Genesis 1.26, onward, shows us over and over and over again, there's a plurality in the Godhead. And when you look at 6.4 and it's talking about one, remember that's a Hebrew word, ekid. And when that's used of God, and by the way, the other word, meaning the numeral, meaning mono, singular, is never used of with the name God. 
Only Ekid, which means united. So that's what we always say. God is Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Three persons, one essence. United. Equal. Right in power and majesty and glory and holiness. Though we don't diminish many three of them. But I want us to look at most importantly is the foundation and bedrock of our faith is Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen? It is vitally important. To teach a form of modalism is to deny that. Because remember, God did not, God the Father, did not pour out his wrath upon himself. He poured it out under God the Son. It's important to differentiate that. God himself, right, allowed himself to go through all of that, right, to save us, right? And he loved us so much, the Father and the Son did, that the Son willingly allowed the Father, right? They had agreed from this from, from the beginning, we're the foundation of the world, right, to save us through the sacrifice of God the Son, Amen. <clears throat> now, first, first of all, any questions concerning what I talked about and what I mentioned, what I talked about last week? Is anything I was wondering about? Well, you see, what, what I'm referring to, that, that's one place. Okay, what I'm speaking of is if you look, if you grab a concordance, which I would highly recommend, one, you'd always see that overwhelmingly, over 90% of the time, when the word God is used, it's always used in the plural. But, right, God can be used in the singular. Now, when it comes to those verses, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, Genesis 3 and Genesis 11, there are those, and the ESV study Bible is one of them. But many study Bibles today will say, well, there's some scholars, or some just say this is what it means. But most of them at least have it in there like, well, here's some food for thought. You know, kind of this, it could be this. He's addressing, right, the heavenly realm. Well, that cannot be true. Because he's addressing an equal, because he said, right, God made man in his own image, right, in the image of God made he him, but let us make man in our own image. Us. Okay, let us make. So one, he's saying own image, image of God, equal with God, but to make, to create. Only God creates. His creation doesn't create anything. And we, man, are part of his creation. They'll say, well, maybe the angelic realm. Angelics don't, angels don't create anything. And man was not made in the image of angels, right? There's just all these things that makes no sense. It makes no sense. So in that way, you can look over it, but he's always given us that clear understanding there's a plurality in the nature of God. And the New Testament helps us, defines it, and makes it much clearer. And the big thing that a lot of people take is one, I think some many do it sincerely. They either, A, they try to explain the Trinity in ways not using Scripture, uh, philosophically or with man's limited wisdom. 
Like, maybe you've heard some of them. Well, you know, consider like the three stages of water. Well, no, because all that water is still one. God is one, but he's three distinct beings, one in essence, equal in power. That makes no sense to me. It never did. I, now, if you could come up and completely, fully understand the Trinity, you got one up on me. I've been, I've been thinking about it for 35 years. Okay, you got one up on me. You got one up on R.C. Sprawl, John MacArthur, John Edwards, you name it. But I remember a man was at a church I attended. They came in to call him an interim pastor. He came in. He had been a pastor and teacher for 50 years. And it's funny, a lot of people in the church didn't really like him because, you know, he, he, you know, he wasn't real emotional, but he taught. And I gravitated toward him. And I remember one time he was given uh, a teaching, and he was talking about, <clears throat> he was talking about that in, if you look throughout history, there has been so many errors created by people trying to explain the Trinity outside of the biblical parameters, right? God's revealed what he's revealed. Anything else is even, it's, we're not even supposed to try to find it out. It's just wrong. It's just wrong, right? If we needed to know that, if we were supposed to know that, God would have revealed it, right? Because he's given us all things that pertain to godliness, given us all things so that we could walk unto pleasing to him. To go beyond that, it's just grave error. Like, oh, you think of an orange. You got the peel, then you got the orange, and you got the juice. That's just ridiculous. That's just childish, and it's confusing. And there's still, you know, it's so amazing. But getting back to the Old Testament, now let's look at the New Testament, and we'll see how it more clearly defines, and we not only... You know, just like I said, the Old Testament throughout abundantly teaches a plurality in the Godhead. We look at especially Isaiah 48.16, there's many others, but Isaiah 48.16 distinctly puts at least three in that. No place else does it show more than three, but it does show there and in other places three. But here, you could look at some of those and go, well, okay, maybe I can almost see some sincerity in that. But we do see a plurality for sure. And in 48.16, in my strongest opinion, I'll talk about that again, it shows, at it shows that it's at least three. But the New Testament abundantly, clearly shows it is three. Three are constantly mentioned. Three are talked about, right? Three are taught throughout the New Testament, never any less, never any more. So God has revealed himself as three, right? One, three persons, three beings, one in essence, equal in authority, power, majesty, glory, holiness, and all the rest. Grace, mercy, everything. Okay, but first, let us just take, take a look. As it, we'll, we'll take a look at some of the simple, clear teachings. Remember, I'm talking about some of those scriptures that people used to try to twist going, well, here it says, all right. First, let us look at Matthew Oh, first go to Matthew 28. And this is the baptismal formula, as we like call it, the, the Trinitarian baptismal formula. We see that here. We're going to look at some unique things that sometimes, you know, even myself, until you really start delving into this, 
you can just kind of read right past and sometimes fall for some of their tricks like the modalist uses, I'll call them. But Matthew 28, all right, Jesus has risen, you know, he appears before them, and, you know, and before being taken up to heaven, we'll start in verse 18 of Matthew 28, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. By the way, another thing showing he's God, because God does not share his glory with any other, right? But anyway, verse 19, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of not the names, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Now, I point out that word, it's name and not names, because you know that it puts a distinction. <clears throat> the inclusion of the definite article before each personal noun, in the name of the Father. So a good way to read it would be this. In the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Ghost. So you baptize in the name of all three, and what does that say? They're all three equal. And they're separate. They're one in essence, though. <laughs> See, but that's what the Bible teaches us. Beyond that, hey, try to figure it out. I know, Mike, you said many times, and if any of you have been here before him and said it, uh, if you really deeply think on that, if you don't stop yourself, you're going to find yourself under the bed, sucking your thumb, quoting the Greek alphabet, right? Because it is mind-boggling. It really is. I mean, <laughs> it really is, but it clearly shows us there, and it just shows a distinction, a clear distinction between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But they would not be named together if they were not equal. Equal means... God, right? The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Ghost is God. And they're, we baptize in all three names, but the name of, right? Each distinct. <clears throat> then go to 2 Corinthians. There's so much more, but I'm just trying to lay this down and show the Trinity because I want to get into, well, I, I, I'm excited about it, but specifically talking about, right? That when we see the removal of 1 John 5, 7, it takes away because you got to realize what John was emphasizing wasn't the Trinity there. What he was emphasizing was our absolute certainty that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing in him, you have life in his, in his name. And he was just bringing in the three witnesses to make a strong affirmation of that. Three distinct witnesses God the Father, God the Word, God the Holy Ghost, all saying, Jesus is the Christ. He is God in the flesh. Believe on him and be ye saved. It, it's so powerful to remove it. Just it, it just takes away from the just the awesomeness. Is that even a word? Awesomeness. <laughs> but the glory, really, of that verse, when you tie it in with the rest of what 1 John 5 is teaching. Well, we'll take a look at that. But go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, <clears throat> verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Now, I mean, why not just say, the grace of God be with you all. 
distinctly mentions the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. And, and where else do we see that? God is what? Right? God is love. We don't understand, right? That they're three distinct persons. They're all equal in that. But you know, they have different roles, but we just see that clearly <clears throat> denied that. But now I want us to go to 1 John 5, 7 and see why it ties in so well with the rest of these and why I am convinced. The more I, st I study this out and I just read it, you know, it says our witness, our spirit in ourselves gives witness with the Holy Spirit that we are the children of God. Amen. When we read the word, when we read the confessions, the, the statements of Scripture, and we say in ourselves, yes and amen. When I remove this and I read it like in the NASB or the ESV, for instance, it doesn't ring true to me. It just does not. And like I mentioned before, grammatically, it's a serious error. But it doesn't even make sense in context if you remove it. But I want us to take a look. First of all, I'll mention it again. Here's what the King James and the New King James, and to be honest, I think a couple minor, newer versions that are out there have it, but the main ones have all removed it. As far as I know, most of them don't have study notes about it saying, and, and those study notes are misleading. Well, the vast majority of early manuscripts don't contain this verse. Or no early manuscripts contain this verse. And I went over that. That's a misleading statement. Well, yeah, they do. You know, the few that exist. The few that exist. You know, but don't contain it in the Greek. But the very first oldest one we have has an umlaut that even shows right there they already knew of two different readings for this verse that existed right here. It's the only thing that's ever been disputed right here. And that shows that that scribe at that time decided to write the version he wrote instead of whatever version, what other version there was. Not saying the version they removed, just like Jerome in 380 and the Bishop of Constantinople in 380 said should be in there and that they were removing, what's well, 1 John 5, 7? But let's just read, right? Well, let's actually, let's just, first of all, yeah, I will read 5, 7 by itself. For there are three that bear record in heaven, right? Bear record, give witness, give testimony in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, I explained before, maybe because some people will say, well, you know, Athanasius didn't use this in the defense of the Trinity, you know, around, you know, around 350 and that. This is so powerful. Again, this is not, this was not put in there actually to teach the Trinity. It was actually teaching there to confirm that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. They have life in his name. But there was something called Sabellianism, that was being fought against at that time also, and kind of modalism, but saying, right, that, you know, Jesus wasn't God or Jesus was inferior to God, but modalism, right, which would teach these three or one, we'll see sometimes we have God re revealed as Father, sometimes as Son, sometimes as Spirit. And people could quit, take that out of context and read that last part of the verse, and these three are one, you know, to try to teach that. But when you read it in its entirety and in context and understand the Greek, 
There's no other way to read it. There are three, three distinct people. Remember, because he just going back to the Old Testament, right? Let everything, right, be given by two witnesses, be verified by two or at least two or three witnesses. So he's given, here's the three witnesses, three distinct, separate witnesses, right? The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three witnesses, these three persons testifying are one. And that word one, by the way, if you look it up in the Greek, the Greek isn't as precise as the Hebrew. The Hebrew is actually pretty precise. The Greek, a word can mean many things. That word one, in the Greek, the number you can look it up is 1520 in your Greek, Greek concordance. But it can mean one, several, together. It can mean one thing or one person. It can mean together. It even says C, and there's four other, five other, you know, roots for its word. It could mean any of these. You just have to read it in context. So what's it saying there? It means they're together. These three are one. These three are together. These three are in unity. Just, and that agrees with the Hebrew, right? They're in unity. They agree as one. They're in one. And that's why when it goes back in verse 8, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. Now, let's remove verse 7. Verse 6, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit that beareth witness, because the spirit is truth. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood, these three agree in one. He just said the same thing. He just repeated the same thing with nothing in between. Nothing in between at all. And then when he goes, verse 9, that we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. Now is the witness of God meaning the spirit there, and then the water and the blood? Or is the witness of God meaning verse 7? The threefold testimony of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Grammatically, contextually, verse it means the threefold witness. I'm convinced of that. But now I'll read it. We got to keep it in complete context. Now that's one thing. Grammatically, you remove it and just something to go with this. If you go from six, you remove the comma, which they say is seven, right? But you remove that and it jumps right to verse eight and the new translation to start four, there are three. But I'll just say this. Then you have a feminine. Which, which ends up, verse 6, you have a feminine noun confirming a masculine noun, which never occurs in Greek. It's a serious grammatical error. Serious grammatical error. And, right, there's a reason the author of Scripture is God. Right? He used people, but it is God, and God knows grammar. Right? Words have meaning. That's why they're trying to say that, well, words don't really matter anymore, right? Trust me, the main reason for that is changing Scripture. In the end, it's right making the Bible of no effect. But let's read it in context from chapter 5, right? Chapter 5, verse 1. Let's see, what is the argument that John is putting forth here? And keep in mind, this was written shortly after he wrote the Gospel of John. We got to keep that in mind. This is probably circa 90, give or take, AD, just after he wrote the Gospel of John, sometime in the 80, between 80 and 90 AD. 
They're just not sure, but all, ch all church witness shows a late writing, 80, 90 AD of the Gospel of John. So, chapter 5, verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Hallelujah. And everyone that loveth him that begot loveth him also that is begotten of him. And then I'll skip down right verse 2 and verse 3, right here telling us right, right, that if you say you love God and you do, you'd love the other, the other brethren, the children of God also, and you'll keep his commandments, right? We'll, we'll want to keep his commandments. We'll want to please him. Now, verse 5. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Remember, the same argument, right? Who's, back in verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, that he is God in the flesh, the Son of God, God the Son, right, is born of God. Who's he that overcomes the world, but that he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Same argument as in verse 1 as he started out this. Then he says, this is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood, right? He was baptized, given witness, right? The perfect, perfect Son of God, the only perfect man, and he shed his blood, he gave his life up on the cross, right? Because, right, blood must be shed for the remission of sins, right? It's a spirit that bears witness, right? The spirit bore witness, right, at his baptism, amen? But, and then it goes verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth. Just repeating it again, right? This, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. <clears throat> There's the difference, right? Three are one, three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. What? That whosoever believeth on him, that he is the Son of God, has eternal life, has their sins forgiven, right? That Christ died for their sins, that his final sacrifice finished it all, and they are secure, right? <clears throat> If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Read all of that to say this. You gotta understand that why would some Latin scribe around 200 AD, that's what the people saying that have dictated that it be removed from a new version, it's not the Word of God. Why would he add something that was grammatically correct, that made such a strong affirmation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that believing on him? Right? You have eternal life and are born of God, are born again. Right? It's not teaching the Trinity. But when we see all the other things talking about the Trinity, it is an absolute clear affirmation of the Trinity. 
Because again, just like in the baptism of four, the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Ghost, here we have the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And remember, this was written right after John. This is John's language. And the Word, another word for the Son of God, is unique to John. And I want us to look at that. He's talking about, right, that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the first and foremost thing about the Trinity was fought against, right? That, and then again also show the Holy Ghost is God, which we'll, which we'll get to and show that. But the foundation bedrock of our faith, even here according to 1 John 5, is understanding. Remember the great declaration, just like he says here, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, when he says that, that the word that they witness that he is, that you have eternal life in him, remember, just go back and we'll close with this. This is the same man that a few years before this wrote the gospel of John. And this is unique to him. But remember, these people, they were familiar. John taught for over 50, for 50 years, 50, 55 years before he wrote this. So they were very familiar with his verbiage, so in John chapter 1, okay, and we all know this, but this is the first thing I want to, this in the end of 1 John 5, okay, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Okay, Right there is a clear, absolute statement that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God, right? Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. I go over, we know that the word was with God, right? And the word was God. Verse 14, and the word, God, the Son, right, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory the glory is only begotten, and that word begotten well, just, you know, it just means first in order, not firstborn, because Jesus was not created, right? He's been with God from the very beginning, right? Full of grace and truth. But I want us to remember, unique to John's language, right? This is he that came by water, go back there, right, in verse 6. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And you know by the Word, he means the Son. From his unique thing, he's talking about Jesus Christ, which, you know, throughout the news, as we know, is the Son of God, right? But also, just drop down to verse 20 of 1 John 5. And we know that the Son of God has come, the Word, right? And hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him, that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Right there, I just wanted to show, first of all, 1 John 5, 7 is, is the Word of God. I, there's no, not a doubt about it in my mind, after you study the whole thing out. Secondly, the Trinity is very important. It's almost forgotten. It's attacked by modalism. It's attacked by those that will say Jesus is a good man. Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was an angel but Jesus is God. It's the foundation. Remember what he asked him? We'll close with this. Keep in mind what he asked him. The first declaration of man, what was it? He asked him, who do men say that I am? 
And we said, well, some say John the prophet, because John been, had been beheaded already. Some will say, I, I, you know, <clears throat> some will say Jeremiah, because all was saying that Jeremiah would return, right? Some say that prophet. Then Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? We have come to know and believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And by that, they are also saying they understood equal in authority. You're right. They didn't understand the whole thing, right? You are the unique Christ, the Son of the living God. And they knew the Old Testament scriptures, which you went through, which, you know, was basically saying that the Christ, the Messiah, was God. They didn't understand everything. But he said, flesh and blood is not revealed to see my Father, which is in heaven. Right? And then he called Peter the rock. He said, by this rock, I will build my church. What rock? The absolute rock, solid confession and belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And believing that, yes, we will repent of our sins. Right? We'll come to him and we'll repent. If, wherever we're standing, we realize that our works won't get us there. We realize we need to be forgiven of our sins, everything. But Jesus is God in the flesh, the word in the flesh. I wish I had more time. I wish I had more time, but we're out of time now. But with that, does anyone have any questions? Comments? Okay. Let us close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for giving us your word, for helping giving us an understanding, and help these things sink in. You say you've given us your word to reveal yourself to us so we may come to know you, and, and we will continue to grow in our knowledge of you, in our relationship with you, but not in the way that these others teach in worldly ways and in biblical ways, but through and by your word and Holy Spirit, always in conjunction with your word. You said you'll renew our minds and with our understanding, and we will grow in our understanding of you. I pray, Lord, that as we look into your word, that you'd enlighten our understanding, and we would continue, according to your purpose, to continue to be transformed more and more from glory to glory into the image of your Son. Father, we pray for the upcoming service. We pray that you be glorified in our midst today. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs>